As you can hear, another cold open. Hello again. It's only been a few days since the last transmission. And that was on Friday the 13th. And I hope I did wish you a happy Friday the 13th. But it's now a new day, and hello, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, otherwise known as Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This is episode 292, recorded on Monday, the 16th of December, 2019. And the time at the beginning of the show is 1930.31. Oh, what's been going on? Well, I said last time that I had box-setted The Expanse. Okay, I'm still not really ready to give away any spoilers, but I will say David Strathern, who plays Captain Clays Ashford on the show, we salute you and an R. And before we move on... If you were wondering what that song that he sings on the show is, that sea shanty sounding song, I did a little rummaging in Reddit, and that told me that the song is a very character-appropriate song called The Ballad of Captain Kidd. Yes, Captain Kidd the Pirate. Roy in editing mode here, just for the sake of agonising nerd-like accuracy. I did a little extra research about that song because I was quite taken with it. The Ballad of Captain Kidd is actually a cover version of a song that's been covered by many people, but the original was called Captain Kidd's Farewell to the Seas, or... The Famous Pirate's Lament, and it is quite old. It is from 1701. Now, enough piratey nonsense, and back to the podcast where I suppose there'll be even more piratey nonsense. And also, that reminded me, I think I've posted this years and years ago on Twitter. Someone, I'm not sure if it was my mum or dad, but someone bought me a Captain Kidd glow-in-the-dark action figure back in either the early 80s or the late 70s. And I had a look on eBay, and apparently this thing that lasted not that long in my hands before I destroyed it is now worth about £130. I think it's made by Matchbox, and that's a glow-in-the-dark Captain Kidd action figure. And as I said that, I've realised that by saying that, it's going to drive up the price even further of this thing. Unless it has sentimental value, don't buy it for investment reasons, that's just silly. And also, hopefully, if you don't buy it, then the prices will go down and I can have one myself. Roy dropping in the next day in editing mode again. I said that that Captain Kidd action figure was now over £100. Well, I did some research, and if you get the action figure in the original box, which is a cool coffin, and Captain Kidd has a swinging sword arm, he's got a sword and a hat, and he glows in the dark as well. If you get the whole thing in the pack... 
it will cost you around £500. It was from Matchbox Fighting Furious series, and it wasn't from the early 80s or the late 70s or whenever I said it was. It was actually from 1975. So whoever bought that for me in the first place, first of all, thanks for buying it for me, and I apologise for being a complete hooligan and destroying it. Yet again, back to the show. What next? Well, today there's not really much culture or anything, really. It's the second half of the last podcast because there was just so much to talk about in the last podcast. I couldn't possibly do that all in one episode. Okay, let's talk about technology. And hopefully this is the final BT Infinity saga update. It has been a few weeks since the OpenReach technician came to my home and checked my setup because I have had appalling service for so many years. Anyway, he fitted a high-speed master socket where the internet comes into the house. And although there have been a few brief interruptions and some disconnections, both the stability and speed is now much better. It's not perfect, but it is so much better. And I've noticed the network also seems to recover most of the time without human intervention. Although, I did have to re-log in a day or two ago. But in the past, I had to manually restart the router, which I think is an unacceptable thing to have to do over and over again, especially if I want to run a server or run some cron scripts or something. And yeah, I could spend some time and write a complicated script to poll and then restart the router, but I shouldn't really have to. Not as an end user. Yeah, as a geek, but as an end user, why do I have to do this stuff anymore? I meant to talk about the new Apple MacBook Pro 16, new-ish, because it's not that new anymore, but I never got round to doing it, and I finally did get to the Apple Store about a week after they finally had one in stock. I did try the same day they were released, but they told me to come back, and then they told me to come back again, and anyway, I finally had a go on one. I've got to say, the new low-profile scissor switches are better than the old butterfly switches that they were using in that terrible keyboard that would jam for just about any reason, although I don't have a MacBook, so I never had occasion to test that. Though I have tried one in the shop, and the old one was very, very flat and non-clicky, and as a mechanical keyboard aficionado. It really wasn't my cup of tea. For my own personal use, I have a Ducky Zero mechanical keyboard with the Cherry Browns on my desk, and I really like that a lot, and I've never really got on with the flat Apple keyboards. But anyway, let's talk about the new keyboard. It is clickier, has greater travel, not much, but it is now 
actually tangible. You can feel it when you tap on the keys. But if it was me and I was in the market for something like a MacBook Pro, I wouldn't be that amazed by it. One other thing, the escape key is back. So Vi users, users of that very old text editor, rejoice. I'm one of those users. There are other improvements, but I only poked around on the keyboard for a few minutes. That amount of money, when the competition is so great nowadays, and for less than half that price, you can get something amazing. Of course, you'd have to run Windows or Linux rather than MacOS, but I'm fairly platform agnostic, so it wouldn't have bothered me. Although I stray more towards the Linux side of things. And yeah, that's not the sort of thing I could ever afford. And another thing I noticed, why is the keyboard so small? I mean, the laptop's pretty big, and then you've just got this rectangular small island of keys in the centre. I don't really understand. They could do a lot more with that real estate. <sighs> and they could add a number pad. There's definitely enough room. And separate function keys as well, in addition to the touch bar, you could do all that. Yeah, okay, and that's the Apple MacBook Pro 16. I don't really have anything much more to say about that other than more complaining about the price, which leads us on to the next thing, and I had a look at the Apple catalogue as it is in the UK at the moment, and it is so, so expensive. And I'm wondering now, when did they return to these stupid prices? The new Mac Mini is pretty expensive, and the new Intel i3 CPU seems a rather stingy, miserly substitute in comparison to my cheaper Intel i5 from 2012. Yes, this new i3 does have more cores, but still, come on. I thought the Mac Mini was supposed to be the budget model. Still on Apple, MacOS Catalina. Now I have the option of upgrading to Catalina with my Mac Mini from 2012, but I have heard so many people having troubles with it. I'm starting to think, why tempt fate and why bother? I think I've finished upgrading. I don't think I'm going up to Catalina. Mojave is the last MacOS for my Mac Mini from 2012. And moving away from Apple now, Windows 7 64-bit. Now, Microsoft will be stopping their support for Windows 7 fairly soon. All versions of Windows 7, 64-bit and 32-bit. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. If it becomes necessary, I suppose I'll change from Boot Camp and Windows 7 64-bit to using MacOS, Mojave, and an Ubuntu partition on my Mac 
Mini. I think Ubuntu would be my preferred choice for day-to-day -day stuff. I'm just not quite sure yet. On my netbook, which is a 32-bit machine, the hardware is only 32-bit, I cannot upgrade to 64-bit. I think I'll stick to Windows 7 32-bit for the time being. The reason I'm thinking of changing on my Mac Mini is the 64-bit version of Windows. Now, I don't have enough machines to tell whether this is an exclusive problem to me, but it freezes, and then I have to do a cold boot. Yeah, every couple of weeks, Windows 7 64-bit on my Mac Mini will just render the entire machine frozen solid. Nothing works. Keyboard, mouse, nothing. You can try and do a soft shutdown with a power button. It might work. I haven't got it to work yet. What usually happens is I have to hold that power button till it shuts down completely cold power cut. And that's not really a good thing to do. I have a lot of peripherals attached, including a couple of hard drives, and you really don't want to be doing that. And I don't know why that is. The thing is, on my 32-bit machine, my netbook, which I do my writing on, which runs 32-bit Windows 7, that never happens. My thinking, it is something to do with 64-bit Windows, and I'm hardly expecting Microsoft to fix anything at this late stage. I was tempted to install Lubuntu on the netbook, and that runs fine. But virus threats aside, I think it might be a little pointless, as... The only thing I really run on this machine is MS Office 2003. Maybe I could run it cautiously as an air-gapped machine. We'll see. But there's no immediate rush to do anything. If there's a catastrophic failure when Microsoft suddenly stops supporting Windows 7 on my desktop, I can always boot to macOS until I decide what to do. If you are experiencing freezes on Windows 7 64-bit, you are not alone. The other thing regarding tech that I wanted to update you about, a personal thing, is I'm in a state of technological chaos at home. I am so well not organised, I haven't done a backup for ages. I need a new monitor. I'm planning to use the old one for my DOS retro gaming PC, which at the moment is underneath the monitor. Not plugged in, but just there to raise the monitor to a level. And that brings me on to the DOS gaming machine. I don't know why it's taking me so long to get this ready. It's not that hard. All I have to do is either buy a PATA, Parter IDE drive on eBay. They're very, very cheap. Or run the thing off a USB drive, which I can do. The BIOS will allow me to run even a non-USB recognizing OS like 
MS-DOS from a USB drive, which is one advantage of buying one of those very cheap thin clients, HP thin clients, that you can find on eBay at the moment. Although, do a bit of Googling to check that you can run MS-DOS on the one that you buy. But yeah, I need to install one of those Potter IDE drives or use a USB. Though I favour a Potter IDE drive as USB thumb drives, even if the BIOS support them, there's usually some problem somewhere along the line. Something just won't work. And what I'm thinking is maybe there'll be a problem if I boot off USB and then try to use the other USB socket to connect to a USB floppy drive that I have. I just don't really trust MS-DOS on USB. Yeah, there are ways around it, but it's so much easier using a genuine IDE drive. The IDE drive at the moment in there is a parter drive. It's only 128 megabytes, though. <laughs> There's actually more RAM than there is hard drive. And I do have MS-DOS installed on that 128 megabytes and a couple of games. But as a retro machine, you need much more disk space. Oh, what else do I have to sort out? Oh, yeah. Well, just looking in front of me, somehow I've turned the podcasting studio slash music studio slash office slash library into a huge pile of cable again. Most of it's behind the monitor on the floor, but there is quite a lot strewn around the desk. I think if you were a neat freak, you would not like what you're looking at. Yeah, so there are a few things to sort out in my office, studio, other things. The other tech thing that I had to mention, not really personal news, is that I found out that Larry Page and Sergey Brin have done a runner. I'm wondering if they're stepping down from the leadership of Alphabet Google. <laughs> it's not really a different company because of looming antitrust issues. Or are they going to continue pulling Google strings from a super-villain island hideout staffed by girly droids with Dalek gun things that come out of their head. I don't know. I'm sure we haven't heard the last of these two. Finally, in the technology section, I read but did absolutely no research. A CNN article... I just skimmed the headline, but it says that there is a giant black hole that is 40 million times the mass of Sol. Sol, which is our star. 40 million times. Scientists have detected something monstrous looming out there. 40 million times the size of our sun, and our sun is absolutely humongous. In fact, I can't really adequately express the scale of this black hole. 
Now I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't do any more research. Probably won't be able to sleep. But yeah, look that up and tell me what that's all about, because I couldn't be bothered to do the research. What's an adrenaline junkie bike career to do after a fatal wipeout? How about inheriting a weird box, partnering up with a lethal and sexy reporter, and going on the adventure of a lifetime? Join Geeky X Rocker and his enigmatic partner in crime as they are drawn into the mystery of the century deep in the dark heart of London. It is a secret that will change their lives forever, if it doesn't kill them first. The Horrors Box is a very dark, very funny, fast-paced, action-packed, suspense thriller brimming with pop culture nostalgia and unique characters. If you liked Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Goonies, National Treasure, and Preston and Child's Agent Pendergast series, you will love this high-octane and explosive page-turner as quirky and British as James Bond and Doctor Who by UK author Roy Martha. Oh, that's me. And this is my book. You can find The Horus Box on Amazon as a Kindle ebook now. And finally, we come to the creative section. Yes, I actually have a couple of things to talk about today. First of all, I have some podcasting tips. And yeah, before you fast forward to the next podcast in your list... Just have a listen, because this is aimed at people like me, solo podcasting. There aren't many of us, and I wish there were a few more, because sometimes I quite enjoy listening to others podcasting on their own, without the crutch of guests or background music. Actually, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, it is fairly impressive when someone can pull it off, usually much better than I can. These tips are not so much about equipment. I list what I use on the podcast page, which I'll tell you at the end of the podcast, I always do. But it is more to do with solo podcasting content. And I should say at the top of this section, there are things that I'm going to recommend in this list that I don't do myself. And I'm trying to do, but I don't do myself, so don't make the same mistakes I do. First of all, have a specific subject to talk about. It's easier to talk about one thing well than many things badly. See what I mean? Which is what I tend to do with a generic geek podcast like this one. I usually write down what I want to say, then glance briefly at my notes. I don't read them out verbatim, mainly because I'm trying to keep it conversational. I do, though, write show notes that read like a self-contained blog post or an article or a feature article. Don't do this. Unless you want to simultaneously release a blog post with your podcast, then do it. But if not, if these are genuinely just show notes, don't go into that much detail. The reason for that is it's a giant pain. And I'm not sure that it's worth it. It feels like a duplication of effort because I'm then talking about the same thing in the podcast. 
And worst of all, there is a tendency to end up reading your blog post instead of doing something that sounds conversational. I do not say um or ah or mostly unsuccessfully use conversational prompts like and, which I do, or so. If I don't know what to say, I say nothing or I hit the pause button. I just edit the big silences out. Because I also have Tourette's and stress, like the stress you get when you do a podcast on your own, makes it worse. I usually have a lot of vocal tics, like uh, 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 ah, etc. to remove. Although that last ah sounded a bit piratey, didn't it? Ah, That's not Tourette's, that's just me being a pirate. Other things I edit out include the worst of my lisped S's. Did you notice I've got a lisp? And then there are the mouth clicks, and really, God help me, I am such a clicker. Clicks are usually caused by dry mouth, but I would also say don't get too paranoid and remove all the mouth clicks, all the breathing sounds, and all the pauses. If you do that, you're going to sound like you're an insane robot on speed. You do want your conversation to sound human. That's what I'm getting at. I also try not to use compression or normalization effects, although sometimes that's necessary, unless you want to subject your listeners to jump scares. Like, just listen, come closer to the mic. Boo! See what I mean? That's why you need compression and normalization. If you don't know what those terms mean, search for them in your browser. Let's now talk about the speed of editing. If I'm going full speed, full tilt, full speed ahead, I can edit one minute of audio in about two minutes. Cutting tape, though, I find to be a pain, but at least it's nothing like editing film. The most difficult thing about editing, I find, is all the sitting that I have to do which is really terrible for my back, and my back has not been good lately, and also pretty bad for your bum. And all that mousing you have to do in the editing suite that you use, whatever it is, I use Audacity, lots of mousing, is a really excellent way to develop repetitive strain injury that I have done before. It's one of those things that people that do a lot of mouse-based computing end up with. And I bet they didn't tell you that at your podcast internship, did they? Hey, wait, podcast internship? Look, unless it's paid, then fair enough. You've got a paid internship, do it. But really, an internship for podcasting? If it's unpaid, why are you even bothering? It's podcasting, not radio. Just get out there. Do a little bit of research about mics. Plug yourself in and record yourself. Sort out your Apple podcast account, and you're there. On the other hand, 
if you are offered something paid, then perhaps take it. If you are offered a really prestigious show, like, say, TAL, This American Life, then take it. Although, now that I think about it, isn't This American Life radio? No, wait, it's a podcast. No, it's radio. Listen, Ira, if you're listening to this, make up your damn mind. Ah, oh, yeah. So, think carefully about internships. <laughs> Whether they're necessary or not, and just get on with making one. Because, unlike a lot of things, podcasting can be exceedingly cheap. Good luck, Padawan. This next tip is not exclusive to podcasting, as you'll see, Always record on two devices. So for me, my main device will be Audacity that I'm recording through a microphone plugged into a mixer plugged into my computer. That's one device. But I also have a phone charging in front of me. And what I really should do all the time is record on the phone as well, which gives me a backup track if the main thing goes horribly wrong. And if you have been podcasting for any time at all, I'm sure you know exactly how unreliable a computer is and how you can always rely on a computer to totally screw your recording. This is a solo podcasting tip that almost contradicts itself. (laughs) Don't podcast solo. A few people do and develop a nice talking-to-a-friend patter, but even after this long, I still find doing it hard, as you can hear me right now, a bit stressed. But if you do decide to be a solo podcaster, please do not inundate the listener with constant, repetitive background music. I've heard this recommended many times on Reddit, and... It is completely unnecessary. You do not need to do it. It is the fastest way to get listeners like me in particular to unsubscribe. Your voice is enough. Finally, a reiteration of what I said at the top of this section. If you listen to my podcast, it is absolutely obvious that I do not always succeed at following my own advice, but I do try. So regard these as guidelines. Let me go back to something I mentioned before. Remember I was talking about recording on two separate devices in respect to podcasting? Well, the same goes for if you are a photographer. Always have two cameras. The pros always have more than one camera. Never go on a photo shoot with only one camera, even if your other camera is your phone. And the same goes for if you're a reporter and all you have is a pen and paper, always have two pens and two pads to write on. Always have a backup. That's what I'm getting at. Always have a backup. Backups are not just for backing up your data on your computer. It's so that you're prepared as a media person to take a record of a thing that you've gone out to do when your primary device or pen or paper fails. And last, I just had a couple of words to say about media preservation. As nerds, we often talk about 
digital preservation. But the same respect needs to be shown for physical media. Cultural artifacts and material history, once they're destroyed, they're wiped from human memory. If a thing is important to you, save it. Never throw away stuck or mouldy videotapes, cassette tapes, bookworm-riddled books, decaying comics, papers, photographs. The list goes on and on. If something looks like it's completely buggered, you've got an old, say, videotape of a birthday or something, and you're sad that the video cassette tape, the VHS tape, if anyone actually remembers those, is all caked in mold and sticky and nasty and just jammed up. Do not despair and throw them away immediately. Wait until you can get to a professional. There is a whole industry dedicated to the restoration of this material. Remember, once it's gone, it's gone. And on that cheerful note, I've finished. I'm now going to wind up this show, and I've got my Christmas shopping to do tonight. I've saved it until tonight. Hopefully there'll still be things in the shop, and it won't be too crowded. I'll go at a ridiculous hour and get everything. It's only past eight at the moment. I'll probably wait a few hours and then do my shopping. There's something quite satisfying about doing your grocery shopping in the middle of the night, though beware the vampires. And that is it. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. Crash could always do with new friends. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rocket Radio Show, otherwise known as Crash, the UK podcast for the culture geek, technology nerd, and creative wizard. This was episode 292, recorded on Monday, the 16th of December, 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 20.06.50. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!